Welcome to Left on Red, the Daily Mountain Eagles political history podcast. I'm Jennifer Coron. And I'm Drew Gilbert. And our guest this week is attorney, former legislator. Uh, goat uh, farmer. Water, well, some of it, yeah. We, some I don't of think his, we talked about that. Um, uh, some of his, me, a publisher. Yeah. Publisher. Uh, uh, front page of the Daily Mountain Eagle for a period of time. He of many hats. Um, <laughs> yes, so Ken Gewen. Ken Gewen is our guest. Um, and we had Ken on, and we talk about it in his interview. Um, you know, we're we're talking about a, a changing political landscape here uh, as as a big undertone of the season. And uh, I mean, he destroyed in in two thousand and six, and was virtually unopposed. Mm-hmm. And then in two thousand and ten, uh, a UPS driver doubled up his vote count. Mm-hmm. I think he that, lost like seventy to thirty percent or something oh yeah, like that. Yeah, it was a it was a it was a big number, and uh, it was nine thousand and something votes versus mm-hmm. four thousand and something votes or something like that. It was it was big, and um, that's a story there. And mm-hmm. not only that, we wanted to talk about some other things and and some of his experiences and what makes him tick. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and I think we got and to he do shocked that. us a couple of times <laughs> with I think <laughs> no did, matter what you think away. Ken Gewen's yeah. opinions might be. Um, he certainly came out a couple of times and uh, was uh, playing, not devil's advocate necessarily. I mean, he genuinely believes these things, but it, it certainly surprised us once or yeah, twice. Yeah, it did. It did. Um, but, yeah, so he, he was a good guest. Um, uh, again, not in the legislature anymore, so I think he gets to— uh, <laughs> The filter was turned off he, a little right, more. He, yeah. gets to, he gets to be honest and not have to put everything through that political filter. So we had a good conversation with him. Um, and here's Ken Ewan. All right. We would like to welcome Ken Ewan to the podcast. Uh, once again, we'll make our mention of our Cordova connection. We continue to pull those strings as far as we can. We're going to run out of Cordova people eventually. So I know. Season two yeah. is going to be tough because we're going to officially run out of people. Um, but let's uh, let's get this started by throwing it back to... Uh, 1998. So you became the first freshman legislator to become House Majority Leader. Yes. Yes. So uh, talk to me about both that accomplishment, achieving such at at such a young age, and also where the party was, because you know where we're going with this. The party, you know, things are going to change by the end of your career. But where, what, what were the priorities? Where, like, what? majority were you leading in 1998? Well, I mean, the Democrats were in control of the House of Representatives. We had 67 Democrats out of 105. Mm-hmm. I think we started with 69, and then two people uh, switched parties during that. That was in the Fob James administration. But uh, the Democratic Party was, uh, in the House of Representatives, very, very conservative. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jimmy Clark was the speaker. Uh, we initiated a substantial tort reform uh, during that time, uh, the House was very business-oriented, uh, and uh, that was my philosophy. So it was very easy to, uh, to, to be a Democrat at that time. Our, uh, in 1998, our majority leader, Mike Box, had uh, stepped down so that he could run for judge in Mobile County. And when he stepped down, uh, I saw that as an opportunity. The Democrats, uh, the Democratic caucus was doing very little. All we really did was nominate someone to be speaker. I got you. But there was a lot more. There was a um, kind of a, a, a void in uh, 
I, I guess in, in, in education of legislators about the issues, all we really had were the lobbyists. And, and we needed something that was more independent, that could look at both sides. And uh, I felt very strongly about that. And so uh, I also felt like there was a very big break between the African Americans in the caucus and and with with the white Democrats. And I tried to to work on that as well. So that was the two things that uh, uh, that I saw a need for. And I went to the Speaker of the House and told him I was interested in it, and we talked about it a little bit. And Mr. Clark told me that he would be with me, and he was, and uh, and I got elected. How close was that? That's just that's voted on by the caucus. I guess. It was voted on by the caucus, and uh, I worked uh, the votes to where uh, I had uh, two people dropped out. I think I I don't even remember who I ran against, but it was pretty overwhelming. That's always the, the, the vote. But I worked it. I mean, I worked it. I went to every member personally, asked them, told them what my ideas were, and, and went from there. Did you have the big board in your office with everybody's name, and you moved them to where the vote was, like Kevin Spacey did in uh, House of Cards? Well, I didn't keep a board. I did after I became majority leader. Okay. But what I had was a set. Uh, I had printed some uh, cards that were – I guess they were about, what, three and a half inches wide, like an index card, but then they were long. They were probably nine inches long, mm-hmm. and I had listed white Democrats, black Democrats, Republicans, and I went through and would would work those on. I, I would keep five or ten in my coat pocket at a time, and it was vote counts that the speaker had me working on, huh. and, and that was a way we educated people. It wasn't just a vote count. It was going around and telling them what the bill was, why it was important, why the speaker wanted it passed. So you served uh, you served in that capacity till you left the House, That's correct, right. in mm-hmm. 2010? Mm-hmm. And so you served mostly alongside, was it Hammett? Hammett, so, yeah. I was first elected when Jimmy Clark was speaker, but that was in the last year of my first four-year term. Mm-hmm. And so then after that, uh, it was with the speaker, with Seth Hammett. So talking about Hammett for a minute, um, well, maybe for – Five ten minutes. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how long we're going to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Hammett served from '79 to 2010 or so. I mean, right. he was he was right in there. He retired, I think, That's by right. the time you left. Mm-hmm. Uh, served as a Democrat the entire time. Yes, from what you say, pretty conservative. Very Democrat. Conser- very conservative Democrat. So conservative, in fact, that he then served as the chief of staff for our Republican governor, didn't he? That's right. That's right. Can that and happen today? That, that you know, seems gone. It all was. Of a sudden. It was. Seth was the most organized individual I've ever known. And uh, we always joked about his flow charts. And um, uh, he was an excellent choice to be a chief of staff. Mm-hmm. Frankly, he would have been an excellent governor. Uh-huh. And uh, some of us actually encouraged him to run and told him to switch parties Yeah, because the state was turning. And right. Seth, frankly, could mo- most of us could easily be a uh, – uh, a centrist Republican mm-hmm. or a, a centrist Democrat. I mean, right. it, it kind of goes hand well, in hand. Well, there's got to be a line somewhere where they meet, and, That's and right. a lot of you lived there. That's right. Yeah. Um, and he's down. Was he Andalusia? That's he's right. from Andalusia, but he uh, uh, works with uh, Power South. And, okay. And, uh, where are they based? Well, they're out of Andalusia, but they're the second largest power company in the state, and so he lives in Montgomery now. 
and has an office is, right across from the state house. Is Andalusia, is that Conecuh County? Is that where yeah. they make the sauces? No, 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 it's not Conecuh County. It is Covington County. Mm-hmm. So it's right on it's the state. It's close to Conecuh, though, right? It's close, but it, but Covington is right on the state line. That's that's Alabama's Florida. number one export, in my humble opinion, is Conecuh sausage. Conecuh, Ridge, uh, Man, Conecuh sausage. And that's some good stuff. I'm going to have that for dinner <laughs> later this week. I love it. All right, I'm going to pull you a quote. This is a, a, a book by former Speaker of the House, Mike Hubbard. Uh, which I th- you had a pretty decent relationship with. We have a great relationship. Yeah. Um, Even though he organized the, hey. the, the effort to beat me. <laughs> well, part of this book is talking about that, but the part that I found so intriguing, he's talking about H.R. Uh, Haldeman, who was uh, the chief of staff for President Richard Nixon, mm-hmm. uh, and the quote, which Jennifer made this a family show, so I'm not allowed to actually quote this, uh, but it says, every president needs an SOB, and I suppose I'm Nixon's. Uh, and then Hubbard went on to say that he thinks that you played that role for Hammett. Mm-hmm. Um, this reminds me of another dynamic of some local politicians. We had a conversation. When Connie Rowe introduced herself to me, uh, she told me that she said Greg Reed's cuss words for him in Montgomery. <laughs> and I found that to be hilarious. <laughs> But it's that same dynamic, yeah. and obviously I'm on such a smaller scale, but I have a mayor pro tem that has a different mentality than me. Uh-huh. You need somebody that balances you a little bit. Is that well, is, Was that y'all's relationship? Well, yeah, and and when, um, when Seth first was elected speaker, he asked me to continue to be majority leader. Now, the truth is I wanted to be the rules chairman, and, and, and that's what I told him I wanted. He had someone else in mind, his best friend, Jack Venable, mm-hmm. and um, – uh, he told me that if I became majority leader, he wanted it to be a significant position. Uh, we would fund an office. We would have a staff. We would be able to do the research that we wanted uh, mm-hmm. to do. And uh, that was his commitment to me. Uh, he told me that uh, he needed me to be uh, the most <laughs> the most show, democratic person that I could be. <laughs> While he was the most the the the, the right wing as far as you could be, yeah. and I was also supposed to be his lawyer, and and oh and he said, "I want you to represent me on the floor like you're my lawyer." Okay, and so uh, that was my marching orders. Uh, that's what I did. I think I did a pretty good job at it. Mm-hmm. And by the way, Mike Hubbard called me before he put that quote okay. in the book. All right. I and noticed said, a smirk and as you said, started to get into he said, it. He said, do you, do you mind if I put it in? I said, no, it's a badge of honor. I love it. <laughs> and by the way, Mike and I probably talk once a month right okay. now. Yeah. And he's... I don't want to get too far in the weeds. Is he house arrest or something? He no, got, no, no. He's, he's, it's still on appeal. Okay. And, okay. Uh, uh, and frankly... When you look at some of the details in this, uh, in his case, I mean, the Supreme Court should overturn it and send it back for another trial. Okay. And and I'm not even sure that with what they've done with the Ethics Act, because of how how vague it was when it was first passed, there's been some tweaks to it. I mean, even even I was at an Ethics Commission meeting, and the Ethics Commission is asking uh, the legislature to 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 explain what they mean. In the act, and of course, he was convicted under something that was very vague and ambiguous, mm-hmm. and uh, and I, I think it ought to go back for a new trial. Well, and just to uh, clear that up for the listeners, we've got the former uh, Democratic House Majority Leader defending a former Republican Speaker of the House. So that's another thing that doesn't happen much it doesn't anymore. Happen. <laughs> well, you know, Mike and I could sit there. We were talking before we started about some things that J- Doug Jones told you, but but about behind the scenes yeah. work. So we, every Tuesday morning, we would meet, uh, Mike and I, with the speaker, with the speaker pro tem, 
and until Jack Venable died with the rules chairman, then I became rules chairman. Mm-hmm. But we would all meet. We would talk about what we were going to do that week. We would kind of plan into the future. Uh, you know, there were some things that Mike couldn't agree to, and we all understood that. Mm-hmm. But we were all very frank and honest about what we were trying to do. And I had a door that connected, a private door that connected to the speaker's office when I was rules chairman. Mike and I would leave and go into my office and we'd sit down and say, okay, what can we agree to and what are we going to mm-hmm. fight about? And and we would work out details of a lot of bills uh, that would go on the floor. And, and then there were just some things that we knew we had to fight about. And some things Mike would want on the floor that he knew couldn't pass, mm-hmm. but he wanted to vote. And I'd let him go on the floor. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, uh, you know, we had a, a great working relationship. But isn't that how government's supposed to work? It is. And, and so you are, uh, you're the third uh, member of a legislative body that we've had in this room. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's been, well, it's been two Democrats at this point and one Republican that mm-hmm. actually have served. Mm-hmm. All three of you said the same thing in different words. Yeah, I'm of wondering. how important that middle ground is. And, and it's the truth. And, and what you find is that most people that are elected, even in the legislature, I probably in Congress too, uh, really, I mean, we were all patriots Mm -hmm. we were all loyal to the state of alabama and wanted what was best for it sometimes we just had a different way of thinking how to get to it but but our motives not all the time but (laughs) but for the most part were i think you could say pure as far as wanting to do what was best for the state so when did you feel the ground start to shift? I mean, did you feel 2010 coming? I mean, were there were there obvious changes that that was on the horizon? Well, every election that uh, that we had, the Democrats lost members. And uh, we knew that in that election that it was going to be very hard to hang on to the House of Representatives. I mean, frankly, uh, we had already lost the supermajority, so we couldn't, you know, they could block constitutional mm-hmm. amendments, anything. So you saw that coming. And I think the reason that Alabama shifted that way is uh, has a lot to do with national politics. Mm-hmm. You know, Alabama had always voted opposite to what we did mm-hmm. nationally. Mm-hmm. But I think that trend just started coming along. I don't think our ideas changed hardly any. Right. But but uh, because I don't think any really any differently than I did when I got elected in Walker County and every elected official was a Democrat. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of our Republican officials in the county today were Democrats. They mm-hmm. don't think any differently than mm-hmm. they did then. And so uh, uh, it's just a label. And labels are a dangerous thing. Amen. And, and, and I think that, that we all ought to, to pause when we, when we talk about labels, when we throw labels at people. Mm-hmm. So was there a particular yeah. moment then that you realized this was about to become an issue, the labeling, and, and that this was – Oh, it was <laughs> – A it, certain era was it, gone? It just started – you just started hearing it more and more. And I'll tell you, Mike was really good at 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 doing what he did, mm-hmm. and he orchestrated it, and he uh, it was his plan. Bob Riley was there to help him mm-hmm. raise the money, mm-hmm. and so they raised enough money to put that campaign out. And I don't remember, one hundred and thirty-four years is enough, or something like that. <laughs> and, you know and what they well, it did. worked. Yeah, oh, it did yeah. work. And what they did is they kind of divided the state into three parts, and they'd run these statewide ads mm-hmm. and of course i was the poster child for north of alabama course you were yeah. and then and that's kind of the way that they did it and uh of course you know we all know what happened and frankly it was the best thing that ever happened to me getting out <laughs> y'all's y'all's campaign got some national attention there were some i remember there was some uh 
real deal political ads on the TVs and stuff. And oh, I remember yeah. I remember some national attention kind yeah. of being paid to that one. Yeah. So it was big. Yeah. Uh, but it was definitely I think you nailed it. It was a part of a bigger movement of we're just we're shifting to the other level. Oh, yeah. I, they they yeah. flew a helicopter over my house and took photographs and had it and called it Gwen's Mansion on a Hill. Oh. And they tried to make it uh, like I had paid for that with being a legislator. And and let me tell you, uh, I employed two people. One of them was just to do legislative work. That took my legislative salary. So, you know, it's kind of a volunteer thing. But, by the way, I am selling the mansion on the hill. Oh, okay. So if anybody heard wants it, right. it's, 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 I mean, it's certified as, as a mansion in, in Mike Hubbard's book. So, Man, this would be a perfect time to have, like, a realtor as a sponsor, and mm-hmm. we could cut to the realtor. Yeah, you ought to do that. Yeah, yeah. We, may, we may have missed it, but we may be able to catch up. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about, um, we, we mentioned in the 2010 race, uh, one of the things that we've noticed in this trend is it was quick in Walker County. Okay. So one of the, the numbers we've referenced quite a few times, Gore got 48% of the vote in Walker County in 2000, mm-hmm. and then just fast forward to 2016, Trump carries 82%. I mean, that's, that is just yeah. massive shift. And when you really put those numbers together, that means some of those Trump voters in 2016 had to be Gore voters in 2000. Yeah. I mean, there had to be that transition. And, and, and I will tell you this. I think that a lot – you ask when it, mm-hmm. when it happened. I mean, we started hearing the rhetoric. Mm-hmm. The longer I was in, the more you heard it. Tom Belville told me the reason that he retired in 96 was that after the 94 election, when the House flipped, he said the collegiality just kind of left. Yeah. Really? And, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, unfortunate. I him, yeah, I tried to talk him into you know we were somewhere. And I said, oh, don't don't retire. But and, that, and that's a very you know, popular name around it. here. He he carries really oh, well yeah. in almost every crowd here. I was in '96. I was at the Democratic convention, and he and 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 uh, Senator Heflin there, both of them retiring, and we walked around the the outskirts of. I don't know what do you, what's the place where the, where the the Bulls play in Chicago? Staple? No, it's not Staple. No, Center, they're whatever uh, the name of that yeah. arena is. We're walking around, and it was like being with two rock stars. Mm-hmm. I mean, people just coming up to them left mm-hmm. and right. But what I was going to say, I think that where you could see the handwriting on the wall was in '08. Yeah, uh, we had county commission elections here. Mm-hmm. They were all challenged, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and it, it was they were very close elections. Democrats tended to win. But then you had President Obama get elected, mm-hmm. and and frankly, I think um, uh, 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 some deep racism that's probably in yep. a lot of people that we we don't like to acknowledge or mm-hmm. recognize, I think started coming through, and it was easy to blame him, and the blame would stick, but it made it. I think it stuck in a lot of ways just because what people didn't like? like the color of his skin, yeah, and and uh. And I think that that on top of that it was just building, I think that's what caused it to switch. Yeah, and I think nationally too, not just in Alabama, that was a moment for whatever reason during that period when we really like you either gotta go far to the right or far to the left and yeah. we're not we're not playing in the middle anymore. Yeah, that's we're it. just not doing that's it. That's it. There was a big change yeah. and and uh I don't think people's thoughts changed. I think the rhetoric changed and people yeah. bought into it. I agree. And when you you know Scare tactics always work in politics, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what it was. It was, it, to, to some extent, a scare tactic. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to switch you off uh, this particular topic, but we'll come back mm-hmm. to play in it. Uh, one of uh, the quirky things that I liked about you, we did a, we had a closing. You served as Cordova City Attorney for 20-plus yeah. years. I don't know how many years it was. We had a closing for a sewer grant uh, mm-hmm. when I was mayor, 
and you were drinking out of a Make America Great Again mug. <laughs> and I, my head's spinning, right? Yeah. You know, we're getting into this tribalism, and I'm like, yeah. this is a Democrat. He's drinking out of a Trump mug. And then you're like, oh, no, I collect him. And then you pulled your Bernie Sanders mug off the shelf, too. And I was like, oh, you just have cool political mugs. So That's right. I, you've inspired me. That's something I've got to get into. I love coffee, and I love politics. Um, have you looked at the coffee mugs of the presidential candidates this year? Oh, I've already ordered some. But let me tell you, the most rare one that I have is a Cruz Farino mug. <laughs> it only... The, 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 the ticket only lasted a day, I think, but I ordered the mug, and I've literally got it in there, and I think that's that's my coolest one. you gotta you got to put that in a behind-armor plate. I have, I, I have, a, I have a, a, a Trump mug for this year, a mm-hmm. new one. What is and, it? Keep America Great? Is he going with that one on the mug? No, nah, this one had something about, uh, I think something about maybe, I forget what's on it, but it's like a... It doesn't say no collusion, but it's not the campaign yeah. slogan. Yeah. And uh, then I got a, uh, of course, I had the Bernie. The Bernie yeah. One, but uh, I've got a, uh, a Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren yeah. that are up there with him. I can't decide, but I've got the three there because that's probably, one of them's probably going to be the Democratic nominee against So They sit on top of the shelf. Now, I'll tell you, do you rank them by like how viable they are as candidates or is it just about the coolness of the mug? The coolness of the mug. Because if I'm looking at this year's crop, my favorite mug so far is Pete Buttigieg. Mm-hmm. It, it has his pronunciation of his last name, so it oh, says okay. Boot Edge Edge mm. on okay. the mug. Yeah, that's the one I'm intrigued by. So, so I like Joe Biden, cup of Joe. Yeah, and you I, know, that works. You know, you that know, works. I, liked, I like that. One. What does what does Warren say? What's well, her slogan? Warren's is very plain. I don't like their her logo or no, anything on it. But she's well, she's, she's spending all the time on the plans, sir. Right? She can't be, yeah, she can't, they <laughs> she can't, can't be. be they're not working on the graphics. She can't be that's dealing with mugs. She's got plans. Mug design. And then Bernie's. Bernie's are cool. I've seen some that have, uh, they literally use the outline of his hair, <laughs> like his receding hairline around okay. his name. That, those are cool, yeah. too. I've seen yeah. those. I like so. Feel the Burn. Yeah. And, and, uh, I feel like Trump's got an opportunity to really market the hair, too, on a mug. For sure. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen that. Not like an official campaign yeah. one. I think he might be sensitive about the hair. He might be. Maybe we shouldn't. See, I would, I would be tempted to play around with those, like take the Bernie mug and sit it to the far right on the shelf, you know? Like, <laughs> I thought about like, that. You know, because moving politically. I, I actually have, thinking about it now, my shelf, I've actually got Trump on the left. I need to oh, get back see? to the office. Oh, I'm going to rearrange. That's amazing. Well, yeah. I need you to rearrange, and we got to get a picture of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. I need to show people these mugs because it's intriguing. Yeah. I'm yeah, going to start me can, a mug collection. We can I throw it up on the Facebook page. Because yeah. there's like 10 Democrats right now, so I can start mm-hmm. with a really big collection with Trump. And, <laughs> it's from this year. Yeah, Trump, and then at least seven or eight of these Democrats are going to have yeah. mugs at this point, I'm sure. Yeah, I've got an old legal bookcase at the office, and I, I put them in it. I've also got my invitation in there to the Trump inauguration. Okay. Yeah. I'll be. Did you did you laminate that, or how did that no, work? No, it's in there, but it's really nice. Did Was it the wrong address, or did he know no, who he was No, no, they to? knew. They knew. I'll be. Yeah. Here. You're an anomaly, Ken. Um, all right, we're getting off fun. Let's go back to um, politics. So one of the, one of the topics that's come up here is um, kind of campaign contributions and donations, and how mm-hmm. how frustrating that is for a lot of candidates to oh, yeah. to chase that money. We talked about the 2010 election earlier, uh, mm-hmm. where where you uh, retired. I'll use that word. Yeah. Um, and people retired. So go back to one election before that, 2006. Mm-hmm. You ran unopposed, and if my numbers no, I wasn't unopposed. You weren't unopposed. I had a, I had an opponent. You had a Democratic opponent? I had a Democratic opponent. I, I think that. that was the year I had a Maybe Democratic Maybe I read you had opponent. unopposed in the primary. I mean, you had I mean, a, think, or did you have a Republican? I can't remember who ran against me that year. Uh, I, I never went unopposed. You won handily. 
Yeah. That's that's safe to well, say. Well, uh, up until my last election and the first election, I won with the three elections in the middle with 70-plus percent yeah. of the vote. Yeah, those are big numbers. Yeah. That's that's uh, – I think anything north of 55 is, is uh, yeah. drudging. Pretty good. So – um, the 06 election, um, if I read campaign finance correct, I mean, you raised almost $300,000 like, for that race, yeah. for that cycle. Yeah. One of the big contributors, I think the biggest, was the AEA, right. Alabama Education Association. Mm-hmm. Well, we've mentioned that undertone in here before. I literally, so the man that defeated you in 2010, I watched teachers defeat him in 2014. Absolutely. Uh, my wife is a teacher, came mm-hmm. home and said, uh, I'm voting for this other guy. <laughs> and I said, why? And she's like, well, we were told that's who we needed to vote for because this guy voted against our races. <laughs> uh, let, let me tell you, uh, one of the things that, that he did when he first got in there, not just he, but the, right. the party. I shouldn't, yeah. I shouldn't single yeah. him out. Yeah. But, but uh, they uh, uh, significantly changed how the uh, health insurance program was going yeah. to be run yeah. and, and then uh, increased the, the contribution a teacher had to make to retirement. We were already yep. – fairly low in the country on the average teacher salary and i know with my wife who's who's a teacher and right. gets, she was a principal at that time but but uh you know i, I use quickbooks and and it automatically puts in her salary uh-huh. and puts her, her deposit in and hers changed by about 300 bucks a month yeah because of that yeah i never changed it in my QuickBooks program, so I had to automatically, I had to hand adjust it every month because I wanted to remember what they had done. Right, mm-hmm. and, and there was a there was a reaction to that, and they still haven't got that train back on the tracks. No. Uh, no. I know just this last year, they basically made a decision not in an open meeting, and then walked into an open meeting and voted it. And uh, AEA sued them that they AEA yeah. won in court, mm-hmm. and then uh, my wife got a, a refund for what they had overcharged yeah, everybody, for everybody uh, got a eighteen refund. months or something like yeah, that. Everybody did, um, which was nice. I don't really. We probably bought some trinket or something with well, it. Well, I, don't I know mean, what we got. You, government's supposed to be open, yeah, and and you're supposed to see the process, mm-hmm. see what's going on, and there's too much, you know playing a shell game there is and uh and you ask about raising money i raised a lot of money mm-hmm. and of course i gave a lot to other candidates mm-hmm. too from my that was part of me being majority leader right so it wasn't all spent on on my election but uh uh you know we talk about finance reform look i don't think anybody ought to have caps mm-hmm. I, but i i don't think you should have packs I think that if a, corpora- a corporation ought to be able to give you money, but you ought to see this is XYZ corp- Corporation giving and, me the money. And we've created that secrecy now with the Citizens United decision That's in the right. Supreme Court. Yeah. And there gets to be these super PACs that are unlimited. Yeah, corporations as long as are people. That's stupid. Mm-hmm. As long as they're not, quote, unquote, affiliated directly with a candidate, mm-hmm. even though they are they affiliated really are. directly there, with a the candidate. There's more campaign money being hidden today than ever before. Absolutely. And Absolutely. part of that's the fault of the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. And I think McCain-Feingold had great uh, uh, intentions. Mm-hmm. I, I think that but that, that legislation needed to be tweaked as well. It's all yeah. about open open and transparent. It is, and I, I agree. I think we've shoved it deeper into a dark corner yeah. now. I mean, I don't care if Donald Trump puts a billion dollars in his campaign this right. time. It ought to just, just say show on that his he did report, yeah. Donald Trump, a billion dollars. That's what it ought to show. Yeah, if he's got a billion. <laughs> um, all right, I'm so not t- going there. I was trying to bait you. Uh, so tell me, you won the first race in '94. Mm-hmm. You were you were in your 30s, early 30s. I was 32. I thought 32. I'm 32 mm-hmm. now. I can relate to that yeah. age. Um, hadn't been married long. 
No, I got married the year before. Mm-hmm. How'd that work out? Was she she did... knew that that was part of the deal okay. that I was going to run. I'd already decided. We got married in June of '93, mm-hmm. and uh, my my primary election was June of uh, I didn't have a we didn't have a Republican then. It was in June of '94. Uh, so you just had to play the the primary. You didn't worry to about play the primary. There same, were same story the, now. Yeah, I ran against an incumbent, parties. and there were I think there were five of us in the race. Mm-hmm. Um, those conversations have to be very deliberate with your with your spouse because you're yeah. you're taking them into the fire with you. Yeah, um, but she knew I loved politics and yeah. I was interested in it. And I was I had at that time I had gone back to school and was going to go to medical school, and um, I was uh, accepted to an island medical school. But Tanya and I had fallen in love and and uh, uh, decided to get married and law practice was going good. And I thought you know I'm going to be probably forty when I get out of medical school, and I just didn't go. I feel you. Yeah. So what motivated you the first time? Obviously, you love politics. A lot of people love politics and don't run. What, what was that driving force behind I, you going? I had come back to Walker County about uh, uh, three years before that. I'd been practicing in Birmingham. Mm-hmm. And there was just it just appeared to be a void in leadership. There mm-hmm. was not a uh, – uh, there was no unity among any county elected officials. And um, – so uh, I, ju- I just thought we had a, had a leadership void. And Do you, and do you ran, feel like that might still be the case? I think we're pulling apart right now. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I did uh, with the help of, of actually of Bruce Wyndham with Drum and Company is uh, we started doing a unity dinner where we invited all the mayors mm-hmm. in the county, uh, all the legislators. We invited the judges. Uh, uh, most of the judges didn't want to come because they felt like it was – partisan thing i yep. mean it would be it that it'd be perceived it would as be perceived they were being yeah. partisan and uh, uh the 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 superintendents of education i mm-hmm. mean we brought the the leaders together and we did it once a month and we did that for several years and it did it brought people together i mean we even had had the mayor of of summerton and dora getting together oh, and, man. And, and and you know back then i mean you yeah. know if if a wreck happened at the four-way stop I mean, once one city would sweep one side of the road, and one city would sweep the other. It was it was a bad situation, and so we worked yeah. on that. I think there's still a rift there, but I think Petey and Randy get along okay over there now. Yeah. They, they they play nice together. Yeah, um, Petey and George didn't really see eye to eye at that time. Yeah, I can believe that. Yeah, yeah I can believe that. Yeah. Um, so who led that? Who who led the unity? I did. I, I started. Was it, it just you personally, or was it like no, it the caucus? Me. Or no, it was me. It was just here in the county. And so it was just me personally reaching out. Uh, mm-hmm. Bruce and I had talked about the need. We had the county commissioners come mm-hmm. in. I mean, no one was talking. Mm-hmm. No one understood that, you know, it was all a me mentality, me yep. mentality. Yep. And no one understood that we all ought to be working together. Yeah, it's the sum and, of our parts that yeah, makes us great. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we didn't have an effective industrial authority at that time. Mm-hmm. We, You know, there were just a lot of things that were missing. And so we started doing that. And mm-hmm. uh, as a matter of fact, in 96, uh, I got to go to the White House and meet President Clinton. Mm-hmm. And at that time, we had all worked together and had a resolution prepared that I had I had drafted. And uh, it uh, was sent to our congressmen and our senators, mm-hmm. basically. And it was requesting uh, a priority for funding for Corridor X. And I think we had 93 or four elected officials, all from Walker County, that had signed it. Wow. And uh, it just so happened I got invited, and my deal was to go up there 
is that I wanted to be able to present that report to the president mm-hmm. and and ask for funding for quarter X. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, and when I got the meeting, I mean, I talked with Senator Shelby with Congressman Bevel's office, and they were all. I was asking what I asked for because you know if you're going to meet the president, you got to ask for something. Mm-hmm. And that's what we talked about was funding for quarter X. And you will note, I, I sent this to you beforehand, that mm-hmm. White House meeting is the one that you had a Republican opponent in 1998. Oh, yeah. And it got mentioned in the Daily Mountain Eagle. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure you were accused of personally aborting babies and all sorts of things oh. because you went to the White House in 1998. So just, to, just the seeds of what was to come were already being planted yeah. even even at that point. Yeah, that particular Just a opponent. trip to the White you heard you said for quarter X, but just a trip to the White House, that's all Oh yeah. That's all I, that, I heard a lot about that. that. Uh, that's all that people needed to mm-hmm. know. So mm-hmm. where's where's Mr. Wallace now? He obviously didn't win that election. No. Nah. Um yeah, I've got that article here. That was mm-hmm. This is the same kind of rhetoric we spend today. It really That's why is. I, I think we change Drew. the talking said, just, points just a little bit. So yeah, you can it's see. the same thing we do. We just mm-hmm. try to label somebody. Mm-hmm. We talked with Sheriff Smith, which that episode will uh, be out soon. Uh, but we talked about they literally tried to spin him as uh, they use the term abortionist mm-hmm. against a man that has worked so hard to foster children yeah. and has had fertility issues with his wife. And I'm just like, guys, oh. let's talk about some issues here. I, I mean, goodness. I was standing at the gate of a parish football game. And uh, my Republican opponent, and this was a Republican opponent later, uh, came up to me and called me a baby killer. Mm-hmm. And I'm standing there with my three-year-old daughter holding her hand. That's disgusting. And I won't ever forget, George Harlan was there at the gate. Uh-huh. He jumped that guy. He's a firecracker. Like I've yeah. never seen. And yeah. he took up, he had heard what was said. He knew it was there. And I'm standing there with my three-year-old. Yeah. And... uh uh, so yeah, you got called. It's, it's labels, mm-hmm. and labels are just wrong. Yeah, you know? yeah, it's tough. And that we've we've created that with the uh, the hyper partisan tribalism yeah. that we're in now. Mm-hmm. Literally, show me the letter next to your name, yeah. and I'll show you the thirty things you believe in. And I'm like, that's just not that yeah. can't be true for everyone yeah. with with either letter. And, it just and, can't and, be. And I will tell you, I was voting uh, at that time uh, uh, pro life. Mm-hmm. On the, the issues that had come up, they mm-hmm. were reasonable at that time, and, mm-hmm. and and those were issues that they wanted. So it was very unfair. Uh, so tell me about childhood, Ken. Um, you grew up Carbon Hill. Grew up in Carbon Hill. So Carbon Hill's pretty much been the homestead most it's of your home. life. I, I was born in Birmingham. My, my dad was a pharmacist over there. My mother uh-huh. worked for for it was TCI then U.S. Steel. And, okay. Uh, uh, but my dad uh, was from Carbon Hill. My mother was from Nauvoo, and. Uh, uh, few months after i was born uh they bought a drugstore in carbon hill yeah and drugstore is still in operation yeah, today yeah. it's been you know they're 50 57 years wow and um so i grew up working in a drugstore yeah i read it did you bag some ice at one point i read that oh on yeah something. D- daddy had a uh had an ice house behind the drugstore it uh-huh. had a vending machine on it but it made ice and then we sold to some you know local convenience stores and yeah. things where we'd bag it and take it to them and uh, so my summers were primarily spent in a 20 degree ice house <laughs> uh, i was in good shape i probably still should bag the need to go back and <laughs> yeah. see if he wants to start the ice house yeah. back up man i was in good shape then um so grew up there and mm-hmm. then you went to auburn right 
and then you went to Sanford for your JD, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Hey, did you see Sanford had a uh, the Steelers are down to their third string quarterback this past week. It was a, it was a Sanford. Is that draft. right? Yeah. Oh wow. Which he has some FCS records. He had a good career at Sanford, but he started this last week. They, they won. They started their football program back my first year in law school. Oh, you're aging. And yourself. I can remember Dean Corley would come into property class and he'd say, "Now, you don't need to be at the football games. You need to be home studying. But I'll give you reports every week." So the first week it was like, "Well, we made a first down." Second week, it was like, well, we made a touchdown. And once during the season, I think we won. He said, yeah, guys, you're not going to believe this, but we won. Hey, it's <laughs> we hard had a Monday a announcement every Monday how the football game had gone. Uh, and then what happened after, after you graduated there? You, you talked about uh, entertaining medical school, but did mm-hmm. you, you started into a law career? Started I, started, I started practicing. Uh, I practiced here for a little while. Mm-hmm. And then I moved to Birmingham. And uh, the, the person I had clerked with the whole time I was in law school, they started a new firm in downtown Birmingham. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's called Harbin Ta- uh, Harden Tabor and Tucker, and uh, and I I started working there and okay. did that for about three years and and really the bug hit to go to medical school. We yeah. were I was doing uh, we represented uh, uh, some well known doctors in Birmingham on their personal things, and I was doing a lot of doctor depositions. And I thought you know I really should have done this. I had started Albert in pre med, mm-hmm. and uh, and so I. I quit practicing there and uh, and went to college again. Okay. And had a little, just a little one-room law office, and I picked up a few cases here uh-huh. and there and did that and, and studied. And then uh, uh, and then by the time it came time to go to medical school, I had decided, well, maybe I'll Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, who's, your, uh, who's your favorite president? Ooh. Uh... Man, that's that's tough. I've got a a lot. Okay, you want to give me so, like a top three then? Yeah, in no so, particular order. Lyndon Johnson. Yeah, Lyndon Johnson because he had done in the Senate what I did in the House, uh-huh. counted votes, uh-huh. and he was very good at it. He was good at twisting arms, and 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 I think from a legislative perspective, he was very successful in getting meaningful legislation through the Congress mm-hmm. that a lot of presidents just could not have done. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he would be one. I think uh, Woodrow Wilson would mm-hmm. be another, and uh, I've read a lot about Woodrow Wilson. He was a Southerner. He was born in Georgia, yeah, and you know grew up in Virginia, and then was president of Princeton University, governor of New Jersey, and then president of the United States. He was probably the smartest president we've ever had. Okay, and and uh, and you know his one of his campaign uh, slogans was the man of the eight hour day. At that time, we didn't have wage and hour laws, and mm-hmm. we had sweatshops everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so he did an awful lot of things that that helped, you know, the average working person. And uh, this one's going to surprise you. I don't it's know. It's got to be a Republican. I don't know. It is. It's Ronald Reagan. There you yeah. go. And not so much for the substance of his policies. Uh huh. He acted like a president yeah, should act. Yeah, I, I agree. And I long right now for a president that will act presidential. I mean, you never saw him raise his voice. You never heard profane words coming from his mouth. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a leader. And he and he worked with – back then, it, there was a collegial relationship. Mm-hmm. And President Reagan and, and uh, Speaker Tip O'Neill, they worked together mm-hmm. and did a lot of things. And uh, – uh, but that would be my that would be one of my third picks because I want a president that acts presidential. And I, I really I agree with you that I think that is a big part of Reagan's legacy, mm-hmm. uh, not necessarily the policy. 
it, it's who he was, who he uh, was, how he behaved, how oh, he represented he, the country. I think it was. I was born while Reagan was president, yeah. so I got a soft spot for him. And 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 he 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 stood up to the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. And and what are we doing right now? We're placating to the Soviets. Mm-hmm. And and they may not call themselves Soviets today, but they are Soviets. Well, I think we're creating like a whole other episode mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah, but, but <laughs> and the but, Republican Party ever since has been looking for the next looking for Ronald Reagan. Reagan. Yeah, they continue and they to can't reference. find him and his children. I love his children and, and, when they get involved and say, and, "This person is trying to claim the mantle," and my father would despise this person. Yeah. He, they're nothing like him. And you know, him. the first President Bush, I really, I, I he was a great president. The, the Bush family is a fun one for me to just dive in oh, yeah. and learn about and, yeah. and see their family dynamic. And yeah. obviously, I can't relate. They've got generational wealth that yeah. just, I will yeah. never understand. But um, you really get to see behind the curtain there and a strong yeah. matriarchal figure mm-hmm. in that family, too. Oh, yeah. I, I really think she was running the dadgum show the oh, whole time, I've frankly. Got a, I've got an autographed picture from President Bush and, and Mrs. Bush uh, yeah. in, in, in my conference room. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so uh, that's intriguing too when you talk about Reagan because Reagan wasn't quick to endorse his own VP uh, coming into that election. Mm-hmm. He no. he was very slow to like go, all right, yeah. vote for HW. Mm-hmm. And and from conversations Jennifer and I've had, he was slow to pick HW. He did not. He did not want. <laughs> well, they, had run, they ran against yeah. each other in the primary, and and you know that's where. Uh, uh, the first president Bush called President Reagan's plan voodoo economics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you remember that. Yeah, I do remember yeah. that. Yeah, um, I don't know. I think I'm gonna let you off the hook because I'm afraid if we go too too far on any other topic, we, we mean you may get lost in the weeds. Okay, so, so you're good. I'm good if you're good. You got anything else for Ken? Uh, well, I do want to ask two things quickly. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk about the newspaper. Mm-hmm. So that started in uh, 06, 06, 07. I think. And I just want to talk about the vision when you got into it, mm-hmm. um, because it's kind of a rare thing that a, a sitting legislator decides, you know, yeah. to open a newspaper. Mm-hmm. And I know at the time it was, uh, I think, positive. You know, you wanted, you know, positive news and that mm-hmm. kind of a thing. Um, and newspapers change as the media landscape changes. So I just want to talk about the vision at the beginning and just kind of what you got into as as the paper went on. I think 2016 is when is when so. it shut its door. So right. just the change in the vision over over the course of that time. Well, I think that the the vision was always there to 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 try to have positive news. What we learned is that people didn't want positive news. Yes, sir. And and you know they want to know, they and, still, and that's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think mm-hmm. it was an idealistic view of what we needed. Uh, I, you know, everywhere I go, all my life, I have, uh, I, I will pick up three or four newspapers and I read them, mm-hmm. and I like to study what they do, who's mm-hmm. advertising in it, you know, those kind of things. And I can remember when I was at Auburn, my best friend. Still, my one of my best friends uh, uh, was per, uh, was editor of the Plains. He ended great up, paper. I love that up, paper in college. Oh yeah, he ended up being an editor with the Birmingham News Retiree Station at Auburn now, and uh, we would go uh, and pick up warm copies of the paper when they were delivered, when the Plainsman was delivered. And I told him I'd like to own a newspaper. He said, "You don't know a darn thing about running the newspaper, <laughs> Kent." And uh, and that was it. And then. You know, we decided to do it. You and, said, I'll uh, show you. I'm going to start <laughs> one. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so that was kind of uh, uh, the, the vision I had. And, uh, but probably really, it was in ter- response to the fact that people people showed you that they weren't buying the positive. We news. don't want the fluff No, pieces, and, right? and two, people people just don't read newspapers mm-hmm. like they did. And and uh, what I found is, is probably what 
what you find here at the Mountain Eagle is that uh, uh, you've got an older generation that read the actual paper. The younger people mm-hmm. want it online. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that the online stuff was kind of hard for us to do and do it well. Mm-hmm. And so uh, uh, that was that was was one of the reasons and uh and then i you know shoot i needed to practice mm-hmm. law i didn't need to run right. the newspaper so <laughs> now i'm in agreement with you there people will say all the time you only read bad you know bad things and i want to give you this good news story and i've certainly done my share of those good news stories in my career but if you just follow what gets the traction on facebook mm-hmm. um most of the time, the cute little good news story. I mean, you have you know a certain level of views, and 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 then that's great. You put something up there about murder or mm-hmm. drugs oh. or just something really weird and awful. It'll be five times the amount for that. Oh, good right. news. So no, people yeah. say they want the good stuff, but they really. Well, we started. We they started. Don't. Uh, we were the first ones around here that put the pictures of the people that had been mm-hmm, arrested. You did. People loved it. They mm-hmm. do. Uh, the other thing we did that the Shelby County reporters that what it's called mm-hmm, Shelby I think County so. reporter did they had a page uh, uh, every week that was all of the court filings mm-hmm. and so we started doing that those were the two things that were read the most and you know they're those are negative things mm-hmm. a court filing people want to really know who's negative. getting divorced mm-hmm. who's the, mm-hmm. what's happening yeah, mm-hmm. yeah you know I mean the only good thing on that sheet was you know who bought marriage license right I guess. and i don't think you were looking for <laughs> who bought marriage license and 50 percent of those were going to be in the other column pretty soon <laughs> who, who got married this week and will be yeah. in in six months from now's edition of the divorce yeah, records absolutely and the other thing was uh so mr hinton anthony ray oh, yeah. hinton great friend um uh, james uh, mentioned to me earlier this year he was supposed to be coming mm-hmm. here and i think some things happened but so i read his book as a result of that unfortunately had not up to that point and what'd you think about it wow it uh i mean it's it's a brutal read and then got to Mm -hmm. meet him over at dora but i understand that um that you obviously have a have a relationship with him mm-hmm. and um, I don't know exactly what form it takes in terms mm-hmm. of like the criminal justice reform but I'm sure that you're involved somehow I, with I didn't I didn't I was not involved in his case right okay I, I met him after he got out and uh, and and worked with him on some things and then uh, you know it really talked to him about uh, trying to get money from the state mm-hmm. and let me tell you about Ray Ray is entitled to uh, a million and a half dollars maybe less 50,000 for every for anyone year. who may not know so yeah. mr hinton served was it about 30 years 30 years, 30 years on mm-hmm. death row mm-hmm. for crimes that the state never fully said he didn't commit well, he but did, yeah. at the end of the day they just said you're released we well, can't we the, don't have they convicted him on ballistics evidence mm-hmm. they had no eyewitnesses they convicted him on ballistic evidence it went all the way to the supreme court uh, his lawyer had not had a good ballistics person when the case mm-hmm. went through. And it was discovered when they went and did the ballistics testing again. They had three experts. One of them was the state's expert from his first case. Mm-hmm. They all said this gun did not, mm-hmm. was not used in the murder. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know how that, and that was the only real evidence mm-hmm. that, the, that the state had. And so uh, while they they, you know, they just... If, if you're investigated, they don't ever write you a letter and say, hey, we know mm-hmm. you didn't do it. You don't get that from mm-hmm. the government. And uh, But they did choose not to prosecute because they didn't have any evidence mm-hmm. again. But it took 30 years took to get to that point. So now we're back to he's entitled. He's entitled yeah, for 50, being. Yeah, $50,000 for every year you're wrongfully convicted. and uh, To date has received. Nothing. nothing. And, and frankly, <laughs> he, uh, 
he told me he said uh you know he's doing a lot of work going around the country uh uh telling his story and he was afraid that that might hinder his story a little bit mm-hmm. and at that time mm-hmm. last year i still hope he'll go back someday and decide to to ask for it because and by the way mr hinton grew up in west jefferson mm-hmm. oh. so and lives in walker county okay. and the murders occurred in uh, occurred in birmingham mm-hmm. and uh, if i'm getting my my facts straight so there were some fast food uh people were being robbed after the fast food uh restaurants were closing the managers were being beaten over the head or or locked in in coolers or whatever so they picked him up on an incident that happened the guy didn't die he was shot but at the time that this incident happened mr hinton was actually at work and could prove that he was at work (laughs) so the but the murders that he went to death row for were murders that had happened uh, previous to this so they convicted him on those murders um, and then while he was in Jefferson County Jail these incidents with the fast food workers continued to happen mm-hmm. um, there were a lot of signs but it was a certain era in Alabama Mr. Newton yeah. is a black man and mm-hmm. today he works with uh, it's the Equal Justice Initiative right yeah. in and, Montgomery and I'll tell you last about two weeks ago I was in Montgomery with my, my law partner and uh we went to the Equal Justice Center, and they've got a museum there. Mm-hmm. Yep. And if you have a chance to go, it was mind-blowing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not very large. A lot of reading in it. Uh, they've got holographs mm-hmm. that are uh, like one. There's a holograph of Ray, and you pick up a phone like you're at a, at a jail, mm-hmm. and, and he talks to you. Mm-hmm. Wow. And you see him talking and, and – uh, a uh, lot of other things about lynchings and mm-hmm. things like that that are that are part of our our dark past, and uh, uh, Ray is just one of the most moving individuals. He is not bitter. I'd be mad as hell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Same. if I had been there, I mean, I don't know if I could see straight. And Ray looked at me and he said, "You know, I'm going to live my life mm-hmm. yeah. and I'm going to be happy." And he he he's forgiven. And uh, I I'm not I don't know that I'm that big of a person to do it. And but, in but reading Ray, his book, you learn a lot about so the community on death row. And one thing that I took away from that book is so when someone goes, this is the this is the day that they're going to be executed. Um, so you smell that, like you smell the burning flesh, and you like you you sit in that when you're on death row. But they would like bang on the uh, the cell doors, and they would scream this person's name mm. Uh, mm. so that they know in in their last moments that they're not alone and so uh, obviously there's a lot of opinions on on the death penalty and, and the thing like that but it is the fact that the state puts innocent people to death in our name mm-hmm. it is true um and again just reading his book i would recommend it just for people to understand what it's like one to be on death row whether you're innocent or not but certainly to be as someone who knows himself to be innocent and at one point i think was even given the option to sign a piece of paper in which he basically confessed but they would give him life as opposed to the death penalty and he said um you can put me to death before wow. before I sign my name yeah. to to say this that I to say that I committed a, a, he an was impressive character it was a, it's a very good book I think the sun does shine the I sun think does is, shine. is the name of the book mm-hmm. um, and again just for that topic in general um, 
very powerful, uh, very powerful book. And and he speaks uh, here. I, like I said, I saw him at door. He's mm-hmm. he's done some things. I understand at one point y'all are even considering getting signed copies to the legislators or yeah, something. Yeah, we, we, we were just put that in their mind of. Uh, well, we were talking about about helping with this with the money mm-hmm. and uh and then he decided not to do it and that's what we were going to do he was going to autograph a book and and mm-hmm. and we were going to give it to every legislator because they need to understand that uh there was a governor in in illinois a, a several years ago and i'm trying to remember his name it'll probably come to me as we talk but his last uh uh day in office he commuted all of the death row sentences in illinois Wow. And it was because of a study done by the Northwestern School of Journalism, and they had discovered through DNA evidence, which mm-hmm. they didn't have when a lot of people mm-hmm. were convicted, uh, that, you know, there were some innocent people. And so he commuted all the sentences to life. I was at a conference on criminal law uh, in, uh, at the University of Chicago, and he was the luncheon speaker. And I went up to him and, and told him how impressed I was. And as a result of what he had done, I taught a Sunday school lesson on, on the death penalty. Mm-hmm. And it studied what the death penalty did in, in the state of Virginia and how it was not applied to everybody equally. Yeah, George Ryan uh, uh, was the governor in Illinois. So I talked to him about it, and I said, what can I do in Alabama? He said, go to, go to Bob Riley. He knew, he knew Governor Riley. Mm-hmm. And he said, just talk to him. And so one day I... Uh, uh, called down to Montgomery, and I told them, I said, I'd like to come see the governor for about 15 minutes. And they said, well, why? And I said, well, I'm the House Majority Leader. I don't need to tell why. <laughs> I just want to, I want to sit down with him. And so they uh, uh, arranged the meeting, and I go in to see Governor Riley. And uh, he and I always had a joke. We'd compare cowboy boots. <laughs> and we compared cowboy boots. And then he said, well, what do you want today? And I said, well, Governor, I don't want anything. He said, well, you're the first today. I said, I want to witness to you. He kind of looked funny. <laughs> and I started telling him about this and about how I just thought that, you know, we've got some innocent people, have to have innocent people on death row. Ray would have been one of those. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, uh, uh, we talked about it. He told me uh, of uh, some stories about when people were going to be executed. He said there was one where... I think it was an Episcopal priest came to him and told him he would substitute. This guy had had uh, uh, been saved while he was on death row, was witnessing to inmates, had a great prison ministry, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, and and he said that was a hard decision. But in the end, he said, you know, we talked that it was a political decision, mm-hmm. and he said, well, why don't you? try to do something well it took the governor to commute and we looked at things in the legislature but only the governor could commute those Mm -hmm. sentences and that's what i was hoping that he would do but uh it was interesting that meeting was supposed to last 15 minutes uh governor riley and i sat there for an hour and a half and 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 just had a really good conversation about that and, there, and there's a flip side of that story of uh all the people that were waiting outside his office because their meeting times got pushed because you guys were talking <laughs> probably <something>. probably <laughs> so but but they don't he have and fond I, memories I of that mean, day he and i had a really heartfelt mm-hmm. conversation mm-hmm. about it and and i gained an awful lot of respect from me didn't do what i wanted but just he was engaged on the issue he was he was and and you know we even got off on on uh the need for uh, uh, providing drug treatment for so many of the people who end up going 
mm-hmm. the prison. I mean, our prisons are overcrowded with people who have drug addictions. And, um, you know, if we would treat those people as opposed to just locking them up, teach them the coping skills not mm-hmm. to not to, to, to do that. And that's, it's a hard thing to get off some of this stuff. Yeah. And uh, uh, that that probably our inmate count would go go way way down, mm-hmm. and uh, it's pr- prisons in Alabama are still a horrible oh, horrible a, yeah. place. About three weeks ago, I went down, and I'm I know I'm making you podcast run over. Y'all <laughs> cut it. We got edit but, buttons. But yeah. about three weeks ago, uh, I went down. I had a former client that was in uh, Easterling. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is uh, uh, he's gay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, uh, he had been stabbed six times, had been cut over the head. Was, uh, they tried to, to kill him. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he, he ended up being in the hospital for three days in, in uh, ICU. And then what did they do? They took him right back to Easterling. And, and so about three days later, there was another attempt on his life. And he was stabbed four times that time, and uh, uh, and a guy had a, a padlock on a rope and was hitting him with it and gashed his head open. And uh, he, uh, they moved him to Ventress. Mm-hmm. I had learned about this, and uh, uh, I, I talked to his mama, and I said, you know, I'm going to be down that way. I said, why don't I go see him? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I, I drove to Ventress. The night before, they had moved him back to Easterling. And so I then drove to Easterling and got to see him. And what was so sad? Well, it's all sad. But the state was going to let him out. He was supposed to be let out the 1st of September. Mm -hmm. And they had not let him out. And all this happened. And, and, I mean, I'm not going to go into all the details, but it involved guards. It involved kind of a gang mm-hmm. in prison and and it's basically because he acts a little different mm-hmm. uh uh he was he was sorted out and mm. uh uh thankfully uh I mean we kept calling his aunts kept calling we finally got to some people uh actually found the lady who had done the release thing and her niece worked at one of the prisons and we got to her and uh he got out he got out about uh I don't know a week or so ago, and I got to see him yesterday again. I feel like it shouldn't be that difficult when somebody's set to be released that no, they just don't. No, get and you released. know they're letting a lot of people out on drug charges right now. And he didn't have a drug charge. He he was a he's addicted to heroin. Mm-hmm. I think you're always addicted to it, mm-hmm. and had some theft charges to fund it. And and that's a perfect example of where rehab mm-hmm. would be. I mean, he's a great guy, mm-hmm. great guy, and uh, but. You know, he he took some wrong turns, and uh, and he'll freely admit that. Mm-hmm. But the prison system should not be like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it should be better. That's your homework, listeners. Dig in a little bit to the criminal justice system in in this country. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, again, certainly not suggesting that certain people don't deserve certain punishments for certain crimes. But our system is quite broken and well, has been quite broken for a little while. Way overcrowded. There's just not enough people, not enough guards, not enough administrative staff to do the job that they need to to manage that mm-hmm. many people. Mm-hmm. Well, all right. This has been an enlightening 
entertaining, informative. We've, we've covered all sorts of ground. We have. I think we could do one equally as long. We may have you back again, Ken. <laughs> oh, I'd love to. This was fun. This yeah. is the most fun I've had in yeah. a long time. <laughs> yeah. we, we may pencil you in again. Uh-huh. Season okay. two, coming soon. All right. We're back from our interview with Ken, another one of those guests who um, I've been really surprised that we know it goes well when they hang around and want to talk with us Yeah. after. But then you get off mic and get a bunch more good I content. I know. Some things came yeah. off, off mic that I was like, I wish we were still recording. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they, we've been excited that people have uh, have enjoyed having these conversations and uh, and want to just sit around and chat with us. So. Uh, we appreciate Ken coming on. We had a good good conversation with him, and, and much as with Senator Reed, we could just probably have him back, just slot him into season two at some point and just you pick know, a whole second uh, set of topics. We'd make him bring, like, two at a time back and let them mm-hmm. both be in the room together. That'd yeah. be good. Yep. So let's move on to true story or fake news. Um, so Mr. Guin, I'm sure, in his many years as a legislator, was uh, uh, involved in some long floor debates and and those Mm -hmm. kind of things so true or false members of congress were caught on camera playing solitaire and checking facebook while a colleague from the other party droned on during a floor debate that feels like the most true thing in american politics right now so again much with last week it's all in the wording it's a fake story okay but here's why it's fake because it actually happened in connecticut in 2009 uh. it's an actual photo of connecticut uh legislators there's a photo there's two democrats and they're playing solitaire it's a budget <laughs> debate it's late at night yeah. it's a budget debate who cares about how we spend tax dollars uh, now this gets thrown out there um saying it's members of congress because uh, of course you get the visual of yep. this is what we're sending them to washington for so there's a whole meme about about that but in fact it's um connecticut and um and so here's what a, a veteran of the legislator uh, legislature he wasn't um, uh, in the room at the time, but when he was asked about it, he said he wasn't surprised. People were, I think some people were on Facebook, some people mm-hmm. were checking sports scores. He said he wasn't surprised. Um, if anybody's listened to Larry, Larry happened to be the one speaking, and he was the um, House uh, GOP leader. He said, it's the same speech five or six or seven times a year. It causes solitaire to pop up. <laughs> That's what the man said. That's uh, somewhat defensible if he's just repeating uh, himself. Um, so, yep, that's one of those things. If you see that floating around and, and say that our congressmen are playing solitaire, and which I didn't even know solitaire. This tells you this was in 2009. Are they? St- I mean, is solitaire still a thing? Would yeah, you still, still be playing solitaire? Man, I have a solitaire app on my phone, okay. and when I'm in places where I don't have good service and can't really do any of the other time-wasting mm-hmm. things, I play some solitaire. Okay, well, yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, so it happened. It just happened in a smaller venue. It did not. It was not your personal member of Congress who was playing solitaire. But it did. Well, it's not our personal member that got caught. Right, who got caught? Yeah. yeah. Um. So, yep. Well, this was good. I thought the interview with Ken was was good and uh, and unfiltered. And uh, I mean, you really hopefully got a version of him that maybe you don't read about in the papers. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, that was good. Who we got next mm-hmm. week? Uh, so next week, I think, is Steve Flowers. Yeah, I'm pumped about that one. I don't really know Steve mm-hmm. well, so that, that'll that be that'll be a good mm-hmm. one for me. I'm going to learn him with you guys. Um, I'm just going to 
tell you how uh, how I expect that interview to go. We haven't done it yet, but it's going to be kind of like a jukebox because <laughs> it's just like put in a quarter, like yeah. get a song. Yeah. Because I, I'm just going to throw back. out like, so tell me the George Wallace Snowbird story, which is something he and I talked about already. Tell okay. me, tell me, uh, you know, I'm just going to give him a cue. And I'm and pretty sure back. that Mr. Flowers is just going to take it from can there. Can he do like the lead-ins and the wrap-ups too by himself? He can do and it all. Sit back? He can do it I'm all. In. I'm excited um, about this So, one. yeah, I'm, I'm excited that uh, that we're going to get him too. And, and I'm just going to pick out my favorite stories from his book and just just throw out some words at him, and he'll take it from there. So I'm probably going to do a lot of sitting. We're not, I'm just going to be honest. We're not going to grill him a lot at all. I, I'm going for... Tell me some funny stories. Tell me some Good. fun stories. Good change of pace. That's what's going to happen. That. So, uh, so that's next week with Mr. Flowers. We'll see you then. Right, see you guys. Left on Red is a Daily Mountain Eagle production. Copyright 2019 Daily Mountain Eagle. All rights reserved.